the frog prince. You remember the old fairy tale about the frog prince? There are a number of versions, but the basic story goes something like this. Once upon a time, in a kingdom far, far away, there was a handsome young prince who, because he chose to ignore the good advice of his parents, he got himself into some serious trouble with a wicked witch. She cast a spell on him, turning him into a frog. And the only way the spell could be broken was for a beautiful maiden to fall in love with him as a frog and then kiss him, which would turn him back into a prince. You guys remember that story? And the frog suffered through attempt after attempt, trying to convince beautiful maidens that although he looked like a frog, he was really a handsome prince underneath that slimy skin and those bugged out eyes. There was little left of the prince's former glory that could be seen. It had been lost and obscured, but he was destined for a new and better glory if a rescuer could be found. Well, you know, our story is similar. We, too, were once royalty, princes and princesses of the king, and we, too, have been turned into frogs, stripped of the glory and the majesty that we once enjoyed. We have lost our position and our authority, and we're only now overseers of a dirty little pond on the edge of the great kingdom that we were once destined to be rulers over. But rather than us trying to convince a beautiful maiden to fall in love with us and kiss us to break the evil spell, the king himself has pursued us, sought us out, became a frog himself to break the evil spell for us. And he's going to give us a new and better glory. This fairy tale is going to be true for those who have put their faith in Jesus Christ and have chosen to follow him. Quick review as we get into our Bible study this morning. In the first three verses of Hebrews chapter 1, the author introduces the letter by stating that Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of everything that preceded him and is superior to all things. He's the full and the perfect expression of God to us. And after he provided purification for our sins, God the Father exalted him to the place of highest honor. Then in the remainder of chapter 1, which we looked at last time, through comparison, the author points out the superiority of Jesus Christ over angels, who were the administrators of the old covenant relationship between God and people given through Moses. As impressive as angels are, Jesus is better. And if you are drawn to angels, go further and embrace the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who the angels are the servants of. Well, this brings us to Hebrews chapter 2. And if you have your Bible, you can flip over to Hebrews chapter 2. In the first four verses of chapter 2, the author, again, through comparison with the Old Covenant, he warns us to pay careful attention to this great salvation that has been offered to us through Jesus Christ. In verse 1, 
We must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. We need to give our full attention to what we have heard. We need to put the steady, unwavering focus of our minds upon what Jesus Christ has done for us. God has given His complete and perfect revelation to us in His Son, Jesus Christ, and that demands a corresponding attentiveness on our part. Jesus Christ has sacrificed His very life for our sins so that we can go free, be forgiven, and receive a new life and a new relationship with God, and this too demands a corresponding attentiveness on our part. There are three dangerous conditions that we can easily fall into. Arrogance, indifference, and distraction. Arrogance. We are indoctrinated in our culture with the thought that we are ultimate beings. We live under the delusion that we are in control of our destiny as human beings. We believe that through human ingenuity we can given enough time and resources, solve virtually all of our problems that we're facing. What human beings have been able to accomplish is amazing. Our machines, our technologies, our advancements in science are a testament to the wonderful minds that God has given us and our creativity and our determination. But we are a long way from being ultimate beings. We are a long way from really being able to control our destiny. Sin and death continue to be our undoing. And I think current events ought to suffice us to know that to be the truth. Indifference. In our culture, we have grown up with the story of Jesus. The majority of our nation continues to celebrate Christmas and Easter with a casual knowledge that these holidays are tied to the birth and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is on the list with hot dogs, apple pies, and pickup trucks as slices of Americana. Jesus is a part of our cultural folklore. So people, they don't take him as seriously as they should. But Jesus Christ is not a storybook character. He's real. And there is going to be a reckoning one day before God when we are going to have to answer for our misguided self-satisfaction. Distractions. There's one word to describe our mental condition in the modern world. It would be distracted. We are overwhelmed with access to so much information that our minds are numb with it all. It is common, isn't it, to see people with their attention focused on their phone screens rather than whatever else is going on around them. We're so plugged in that we're distracted and disconnected from life going on around us. We're in danger of missing the most important things in life, and in particular, knowing God through Jesus. It says we must pay the most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard so that we do not drift away. The result of us not paying careful attention to what God has revealed to us through Jesus Christ will be us drifting away. The image that comes to mind is that of a boat drifting away down the river. The boat was 
once tied safely, securely to the dock, but somehow the mooring rope came loose and the current of the river has begun to carry the boat downstream. And if the boat is not kept tied to the dock, it could be lost. Think about what drifting is. It's a slow, gradual, quiet thing. It's not a sudden <clears throat> lurch or disconnect. And that's what makes it so, so dangerous. It's not the sudden catastrophic loss of our Christian faith that usually takes place, but a drifting away. <clears throat> the great Bible commentator William Newell said, Drifting is the quietest, easiest, most delightful way of dying. 1 Peter 5.8 tells us that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. He's looking for the wandering sheep, the one who has drifted away from the flock. Those are the sheep that make easy prey. It's a natural tendency for all of us to drift away. It's all too easy to allow ourselves to slowly slide out of fellowship with the Lord and with other believers. It's easy to let popular culture chip away at our beliefs and allow doubt and confusion to draw us away. If we do nothing, apply no effort, we will drift away. Drifting requires no work on our part. Preventing drifting requires effort. I'm constantly having to pull weeds from the flower beds around my house. I have never knowingly planted one single weed seed. But they get planted and they grow without me doing anything. Flowers, on the other hand, they require my constant attention and care to keep them healthy and growing. Our relationship with the Lord is that way too. Ignore it, and it will get choked out by the weeds. A healthy spiritual life requires care on our part, pulling weeds, adding nourishment. The old Bible teacher John Brown wrote, If we do not take heed to the things which we have heard, they will gradually, as it were, Vanish out of our minds as water out of a leaking vessel. Verse 2. For since the message spoke through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? For since the message spoken through angels was binding... See, this message being referred to is the law that was given through Moses, the old covenant relationship, which was put into effect by angels. And this is spoken of in the Old Testament and New Testament. Both The law of Moses went into great detail. And you can read it in the Old Testament scriptures about what the punishment would be for various violations of that law, even including the death penalty for some sins. 
If the law of Moses was taken so seriously, he's saying, how much more serious should we take this new covenant relationship that it now comes to us through Jesus Christ, which is so much better? How shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation, he asks. We see this stark contrast between the old and the new covenant relationships. The old one isn't even called salvation, and every violation of it was met by punishment. How much more severe should the punishment be for ignoring, neglecting this great salvation that has come through Jesus Christ? Hebrews 10, 28 says, Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot who has treated as an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified them, and who has insulted the spirit of grace. This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. The message of the old covenant was delivered by angels, but this great salvation was announced to us by the Lord Jesus himself. He doesn't use any go-between. God the Son was the message deliverer, and he's also the message. Those who heard the message firsthand from Jesus himself, they have now passed it on faithfully to us and confirmed the truth of it. Verse 4 says, God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles, and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. During Jesus' life on earth, he performed many miracles, all designed to point the way to who he is. In Mark chapter 2, for example, when Jesus healed the paralyzed man who had been lowered down through the roof of a house, you might remember Jesus said as he healed the man, he asked the crowd, which is easier, to say to this paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, get up, take your mat, and walk. He says, but I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. God also declared the truth and the reality of this great salvation that comes through Jesus with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit during the times of the apostles, as we see recorded in the book of Acts. And God actually continues to declare the truth and the reality of this great salvation through signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, even up to the present day. Now, some in the modern church have turned much of this into a travesty at both extremes. We have those who deny everything supernatural. And then we have those who market miracles as a commodity. But there have always been and continue to be true supernatural workings of God done among us to point us to Christ. The Holy Spirit continues to distribute spiritual gifts among the body of Christ, both for the glorifying of Christ and for the building of the church, of the church fellowship. Now in this rest of chapter 2, the author makes two important points 
regarding this great salvation. First, the destiny of redeemed people is going to be the same as that of Jesus Christ. Glory. God considers us to be part of the same family as Jesus Christ, and so all that is Jesus's is also ours. We are co-heirs with Jesus. And the second big thing that's said in chapter 2 is that the glory that we're destined for is a direct result of the voluntary humiliation, suffering, and death of Jesus. He's blazed the trail and done the work for us. He has suffered for us and with us. He has put on our skin and walked in our shoes. He has faced our difficulties and our fears and our enemies and has overcome and defeated them for us. Because he became what we are, he is able to help us not only to enter glory in the future, but to overcome what we face in the present. So verse 5, it says, It's not to angels that he has subjected the world to come, about which we are speaking. Uh, the present world is subject to angels. Angels are God's administrators in the present world. Angels barred the gates to Eden after the fall of human, humanity to prevent them from entering the garden again. The old covenant was given through angels, which was just talked about in earlier verses. The book of Daniel, which we looked at a few weeks back, describes angels assigned to cities and empires and peoples doing battle in the spiritual realm against forces of evil. Angels appear repeatedly in the Old Testament and the New Testament carrying out works for God. Angels are still at work in the world carrying out the will of God. Satan, a fallen angel, is described as the prince of this world and as the god of this age and as the spirit at work in those who are disobedient. But the world to come which is what is being talked about here, will not be subject to angels. Hebrews 1.14 tells us that angels serve those who will inherit salvation. The world to come will be subject to Jesus Christ and with him those who inherit salvation. Now when we let that thought sink in, we can see more clearly why the author of Hebrews calls our salvation a great salvation in Hebrews 2.3. He's overwhelmed by the magnitude of this thought that God has not only saved us from sin and death through Jesus, but he's going to raise us up to a place of honor with Jesus. See, this great salvation that is in Christ is rescue and glorification for us. In verse 6, but there is a place where someone has testified, What is mankind that you are mindful of them, a son of man that you care for him? You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. This is a quotation from Psalm 8, verses 4 through 6. And these verses from the psalm, they give us a glimpse of what we were meant to be. We were meant to be the crown jewel of creation on this planet. We were meant to be the administrators and the caretakers of God's glorious creation here. But we squandered it. 
We ruined it. We lost it. We failed to be what we were supposed to be. In reaching for glory of our own making, we lost the glory that we had that had been given to us and intended for us by God. We have become frogs. We can see the results of our ruin in the world that we live in. Our world is filled with disease and decay and violence and death. And we're responsible for it. There's a beautiful balance that exists in nature with everything having a purpose and a function and a reason for existence. Everything from the smallest germ to the largest mammal, they all share in this beautiful give and take that works together as a whole. Everything works beautifully until you get to human beings. Then things are thrown out of whack. Everything fits except for us. Everything seems to belong on the planet except for us. Everything is part of the great circle of life, as Mufasa would say, except for human beings. Why? Because we're broken. We're broken. And sadly, the rest of the planet has been dramatically affected by our brokenness. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them, yet at present we do not see everything subject to them. The author of Hebrews reminds us of what we were intended to be and gives us a glimpse into what we are going to be and then returns to our present dilemma and condition. We are a fallen species separated from our Creator and all that He had intended for us in our foolish attempts at glory of our own making, we lost the glory we had and that would have been given to us. Now, we could be depressed about what has been lost, but that's not where the story ends. Verse 9. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Our faces are downturned in remorse. We're filled with a sense of guilt and loss and failure as we reflect on all of what we could have been and what we ought to have been. But Jesus comes along and he's the lifter of our head. Psalm 3, 3 says, But you, Lord, are the shield around me, my glory, the one who lifts my head. He's our champion who has gone before us. He's done what we were unable to do for ourselves. As C.S. Lewis put it, he became what we are so that we could become what he is. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what we were supposed to be. Jesus is the one whole human being, the unbroken human being, the one human being that's not broken. Jesus has shown us what we were meant to be and what we will be. 
He descended into our fallen reality to redeem and rescue us from it. And he creates in us a new person with a new nature, a new kind of human born again by the Spirit of God. We began our study this morning with a fairy tale, the story of the frog prince. And I want to say to you who have received salvation in Jesus Christ, frogs underneath that green slimy skin and those bugged out eyes of yours, you are really princes and princesses of God's kingdom. God has kissed us through his son, Jesus Christ, and broken the spell that bound us. Christian, remember who you really are and live like it. Let the joy of the future that awaits you carry you through your difficulties. Live a life pleasing to God, your King, pursuing holiness rather than selfishness and sensual pleasure. Now, if you came here today looking for hope and a reason for your life, I want to tell you that it can be found in Jesus Christ. You may feel like a frog, but you weren't supposed to be a frog. You were supposed to be a child of the King. Come to Jesus Christ. He died for your sins so that you can be forgiven and brought back into a relationship with God. Repent, believe, and receive a new life and a new future. Finally, this morning, let us pay the most careful attention to this great salvation that we have. Let us not be arrogant or indifferent or distracted. Instead, let us seek the Lord with a humble, hungry heart. We're destined for glory in Jesus Christ. We're destined for glory in Jesus Christ. Romans 8.28 says, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose, for those God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. Those he called, he also justified. Those he justified, he also glorified. Let's bow our heads. Lord, we thank you for the future that you have won for us in Jesus Christ. We thank you that you have broken the spell of sin and death that holds us captive here and has robbed us of what you have intended for us, Lord. I pray that you would fill your people this morning with a fresh hope and joy for who they are and where they're going and what we're becoming, Lord. May we pursue Jesus with all of our life. In his name we pray these things. Amen.